Welcome into the Day in Sports podcast. Adam Hawking now, Ben Sherman to come in moments. Today, jam-packed show Jay Gruden goes to Washington. We preview the best weekend in football, in my opinion, the divisional round in the NFL. Johnny Football goes pro. Andrew Wiggins is overrated. And we debate if steroid users should make the Baseball Hall of Fame. That and maybe some rapid fire coming up on the podcast. Welcome in to the show, TDIS underscore humble brag on Twitter, the day in sports.com, the day in sports on Facebook. That's our housekeeping. Oh, I forgot to say this last time. You can find us on iTunes. How do you say it in Spanish? Would be El Dia de los Puertos? Puertes? Deportes. Deportes. ESPN Deportes. Oh, I screwed that one, didn't I? Well, we were trying for witty banter, and we just got banter. Yeah, translation, lost in translation. Let's just call it that. Okay. Hey, ready for sports talk? I am let's, as ready as I could possibly be. Let's talk in each other's faces about sports. Let's just scream at each other. Yeah. Uh, it'll be like first take, Skip Bayless. Uh, Redskins. Yeah. The Washington Redskins hired Jay Gruden as head coach. I'm going to give you my thoughts, and then I want your reaction. I think the Bengals' offense... Under Jay Gruden, uh, underachieved given the talent. Pro Bowl tight ends, Pro Bowl receivers, two good running backs, pretty good quarterback. Um, I think Mike Zimmer was the best candidate uh, coming from Cincinnati out of the two, Gruden and, and Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Greg Roman is a better offensive mind than than Jay Gruden. I think you kind of see um, a lack of innovation maybe with the Bengals manifested in 0-5 in the playoffs. Yeah, um, I'm also glad because Vic Fangio... The 49ers D coordinator was rumored as interested uh, uh, to going to Washington. And then I think the Vikings dodge a little bit of a bullet by not hiring Gruden um, because I don't know if he's quite ready to take over Washington or Minnesota, both two franchises that kind of need an overhaul. And I really do think the Redskins maybe wanted the other Gruden and they just settled for his brother. I feel like that's probably anybody who hires Jay Gruden is probably just hoping that they'll get some semblance of John. That both apples kind of fell close to the tree. Yeah, and I think uh, the I think Jay's at the shallow end of the gene pool, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, wh- why? He's like John Gruden light. Diet John we, Gruden. Well, let me ask it this way. What have we seen from this guy that kind of leads you to believe? I mean, I, I watched Hard Knocks. It seemed like all he did was swear a lot and kind of... Uh, I, I don't know. He just... He doesn't have the experience. It's not like that offense was prolific or particularly innovative. Right. You know, they just throw the ball deep to well, AJ Green. And especially, I, I mean, you look at, like you said, the, the talent that they've got, they certainly did underachieve. Yeah. And scoring 10 points in the playoffs against a, a Chargers defense that we kind of identified as okay, but not, not the best in the league. Um, and, and under Marvin Lewis, the, the defense has been, uh, excellent. The, you know, the, the, the unit that Mike Zimmer controls has really been the strength and the offense has kind of been turnover prone. Yeah. And kind of the reason they haven't advanced in the playoffs. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you can put, put a, uh, uh how much blame you can put on Gruden specifically versus say Andy Dalton. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really like the hire and the Washington media in terms of football is probably as tough as it gets. Oh yeah. That's a hard place to start your first head coaching job. Yeah, um, it's like everybody that couldn't make it as like White House correspondents decided to go into sports reporting in Washington D.C. Yeah, and just and just sling mud, grill people. Um, I think Washington's too concerned with a name. Yeah, um, a Gruden, a Gruden, and and you know a Gruden grinder trying to make a splash of a hire. Uh, I would I, imagine you're happy the Vikings didn't go yes. the Gruden route because yes. I think he was rumored to at least be interested in the job. He was going to interview, I think, today or tomorrow. Okay. Um, I, I I really. I think this is going to be another kind of a, a flash in a pan kind of a thing. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's going to last more than a couple seasons. The one thing I will say is I think Gruden tends to be a player's coach. He's an offensive guy, and I think the the Redskins desperately wanted someone that was going to jive with RG three. You know, work well with him because of the draft picks they have sunk into acquiring RG three. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that with the Shanahan RG three thing. If if they don't get along. That really doesn't work in Washington. So you need a guy that, that that's going to make RG three happy, basically. I wonder how much of this has to do with, um, and I guess 
to be fair, I'm not, I've never been a big Andy Dalton guy. Yeah. Um, I think he's overrated as a quarterback, especially as an NFL quarterback. May have been a little bit overrated coming out of college. Yeah. Um, I don't think Jay Gruden's the guy that's going to tame Robert Griffin III or kind of no. make him listen to the coach. And obviously that Washington franchise has invested everything in him. So. Yeah, and they've, they've got limited draft picks to play with, kind of a tough salary cap situation. Also, I've heard that Jay Gruden was, was strong in pushing for Dalton over Kaepernick. Way to go. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you have to be a talent evaluator too if you're going to be a head coach. So I'm not sure if he's ready. Um, I could be totally wrong. Obviously, we're not in the meetings breaking down X's and O's with these guys, but yeah. I didn't love the hire. I don't either. Um, let's go. Just wanted a little appetizer there. Little head coach NFL appetizer. Appetizer. Divisional round. My favorite round because I think you get, you know, the, the really good teams coming off buys plus the hot wildcard teams. So let's go game by game and I, I want to ask you a few questions. We'll break down the matchup. Have a slice of pie. I, I want to be probed. So probe hard. I'll probe you hard. Okay. First game that, uh, that I want to break down, the New Orleans Saints at the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. We saw this exact location and matchup take place once before. Seattle won 34 to 7. My first question is how do the Saints keep this game close? I don't know if they can. If they can't figure out some way to match up their offense personnel-wise against that Seattle defense and maybe take some stuff underneath, yeah. Uh, short passing game I think is going to be really important for them. Um, but if they can't find a way to move the ball any better than they did the first time around, it's going to be the same story. Yeah, and 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 I kind of look at the Saints and. Their two strengths, right, on offense is, are, are, are Jimmy Graham, because he creates mismatches, yep. and, and so does Darren Sproles. But if you look at Seattle, they've got two Pro Bowl safeties, and Richard Sherman might be the only corner in history that can actually physically match up with Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, is kind of neutralized. They've got the speed plus the pass rush. Um, the Saints are starting a rookie left tackle. I, I don't, I don't see how they, how they do it. I, here, here's, Here's what I think. If it's going to be close, it's going to be on the Saints' defense. Mm-hmm. They have to stack the box. They have to keep Marshawn Lynch to, say, 80 yards. And they have to limit Russell Wilson's scrambling ability. Get some, get some good pressure on him while also keeping him inside. Yeah, maintaining the pocket. And then, um, you know, the, the Seattle offense, one thing I will say, the Seattle offense has been very ordinary down the stretch. Uh, they lost at home to Arizona despite Carson Palmer throwing four interceptions, yeah. and they only managed nine points in that game. So that's maybe one thing that that that, that could help the Saints. Um, and I do think Sean Payton, second time around, is an excellent coach. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he'll... He's going to bring... He'll, he'll be creative. Yeah, he'll find a way to, to maybe stretch Seattle's defense. I think I think it's a lower-scoring game than last time, but ultimately I, I think Seattle wins the game. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I would imagine, you know, maybe something like... 27-14, 27-17. I think I picked 20 to 13. 20 to 13. That sounds about right in that meaty wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, Colts at Patriots. This is one I'm really interested in. Um, I don't know. I've had a bunch of swings with New England. I was kind of like down on them, and then I yeah. started to respect them. But I'm going, I think, to surprise you. I'm going to pick the Colts. Mm-hmm. New England's favored by eight points, which Vegas-wise is a large spread. Yeah. Um, two even teams, New England, would be favored by three because of the home field advantage. So they're saying... They think New England's about five points better on a neutral field. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's my rationale. Both teams are are almost criminally banged up. Yeah. You know, New England doesn't have Gerard Mayo. Now they lost Brandon Spike, so they're without their two best linebackers. They're out they're without Vince Wilfork on the defense. Um, and then offensively, they don't have Gronkowski. Who from New England scares you? Um, and I don't really think there's anybody. And then if you look at Indianapolis, kind of the same story. They don't have any elite personnel. T.Y. Hilton's probably their their best offensive player outside of Andrew Luck. Um, but defensively, again, neither team is elite. But Robert Mathis was the, the sack leader. Yeah. He had 19 and a half sacks. He's been playing really well. And one thing we've seen is is basically the way you upset and disrupt Brady is a pass rush. Yeah. So I think... The rosters are almost equal in that they're they're not very talented. So I think it's going to be Andrew Luck versus Tom Brady, and I almost think there's something cosmic going on. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of time for a changing of the guard. Uh, the Patriots have made the AFC Championship like what three years in a row or yep. something like that. It's hard to keep getting to that point. Uh huh. So I think it's Luck versus Brady. Who plays better? Who can hold the ball longer? And I think Andrew Luck running the ball using his legs. He had almost 400 yards rushing this year is actually going to be the difference. So I'm going to take the Colts. 
I'm gonna take. And you know, this is kind of a pick'em game for me, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. Just do you think the the eight point line is a little big? It seems a little big. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I guess the way I kind of was thinking about it just now while we were discussing it, yeah. Um, was that if if Indy digs themselves the kind of hole, that if they, they underperform like they did against Kansas City in the first half on the road in New England. New That's England, a bad recipe. New England is, if if nothing else, is very good at if they get you on the ground at stomping the life out of you. They know how to, yeah. you know, eat up the clock. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I just see Tom Brady still being too good to um, to overcome, especially if if Indy gets down early, and I think they will. I, I agree with you. If they get down, it's generally because th- there's really no accidents with New England. Yeah. If they get up on you, it's because they're seeing a matchup they can exploit. Yeah. Um, but that's that's my issue is I don't see... I mean, Tom Brady has been good this year, but his numbers actually... He's, he's like 17th in the league in quarterback yeah. rating because he doesn't have that go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't see... I think it's going to be, like I said, a move-the-chains type game. Um Short passing game, try to manufacture a running game, which neither team is is excellent at. Yeah. Um, and, and it's Andrew Luck's third playoff game, so mm-hmm. he's not brand new to it. It'll be a second road playoff game, I believe. Um, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and and take the younger, spryer Andrew Luck. I I just I think that it's I don't know how well Indy's gonna play outdoors in winter weather. Yeah. And just that alone, I'm giving the nod to New England. Yeah, it's certainly. I'd, that could go either way. I really do. I wouldn't be surprised at any outcome. It feels point. a bit like like and and I, I've got a post that's come that'll come up uh, where I'm picking all the games and breaking it down for you. But something about it just tells me Indianapolis. I could be totally wrong. Niners at Panthers. You've been just champing to get to this one. Is this the game of the weekend again? Niners and Packers was was last week. I think it is. I, I, I'm looking forward to it a lot. The only other game that I'm looking forward to a similar amount, I think, would be the Broncos and uh, Chargers, the Chargers. Yeah. I think that's going to be a good game. Two teams that really know each other yeah. pretty well. But um, defensively, I don't think you're going to find a better matchup in the playoffs anywhere. Yeah, that's I, that was my next question is, do you think this will be last time they played it was a 10-9 to uh, yeah. battle where... Uh, Carolina won the game on a 53-yard field goal. Uh-huh. Do you anticipate that that same type of matchup? I don't actually. I think it's you're talking fair weather for the most part yeah, in it's Carolina. About 50 degrees. I I like San Francisco in this game. Maybe in like a uh, similar kind of a 24-17. It's going to be close. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I I think if you look at the last time they played, Vernon Davis missed three quarters. He went out with an injury. Yeah. Crabtree didn't play at all. Yep. It was Alden Smith's first game back. He played maybe 15 snaps. Uh-huh. So you're talking about a second-team all-pro tight end, maybe the best pass rusher in the league, um, and Crabtree, who's now their number one receiver, all coming back. Yep. And I think if you look at Carolina, it's kind of Cam Newton and a bunch of average guys. Yep. Steve Smith is is old, 34, and he averaged under 50 yards receiving a game this yeah. year. Greg Olson is a nice target. He is. He's not Vernon Davis. No. And D'Angelo Williams, to me, is not Frank Gore. So I think... The defense is probably offset, but I think you're starting to see San Francisco last year with Kaepernick kind of had the offense, yeah. but the defense fell away when Justin Smith got hurt. Yes. Um, so I think you're seeing San Francisco's defense from two years ago and their offense from last year kind of mesh. Yep. I think you're getting the best of both worlds. I think it'll be a close game. If it's not a close game, I think it'll be actually San Francisco by a couple of touchdowns. I could see that. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb. Player of the game, Justin Smith. Not unheralded, but always a force. Yeah, country. He's country strong. He's the guy that that takes up two blockers, so Bowman and Willis can can fly to the ball, stop the run, and and also is responsible for about half of Alden Smith's sacks. Yep. Also, just a little game within the game. I think Luke Keekley versus Bowman and Willis. You've got probably the three best middle linebackers in all of football, and that'll be fun to watch. I like defensive matchups. How much fun would it be to watch, like, pick out your your one linebacker from each team and watch them wrestle? Like yeah, bears. like that, like that Oklahoma drill yeah. in, in preseason when they just basically fight each other. Oklahoma. Yeah, I would like that. I think the Niners, though, I, I, I think that they're, they're really mentally in a good spot right now, in yeah. a much better position than they've been all year. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm glad you said the the mental aspect. Um, it's Carolina's first playoff game with Rivera and Cam Newton. Yeah. They were hot, but now they're dealing with a bye, which can be a good or a bad thing. Yeah. But I think for, I think for bad a, in this case. a neophyte like Carolina to the playoffs, that can be tough. Um, so I just, you know, Harbaugh, 
versus Ron Rivera. I like yeah. Harbaugh. Yep. Uh, and I just, I think it comes down to the 49ers having more skilled people, more explosive plays. I like San Francisco 17 to 10, 17 to 13. I think, um, I really do think that the 49ers defense is going to be too much for Cam to handle with a week off. I think he's resting on his laurels a bit. It'll be a good game, though. Um, yeah. Chargers at Broncos. Uh, another game. I think this will be an exciting one. I think that the spread is way too big in this game. Denver favored by 10. Um, I guess that's because Denver's offense is so prolific that it could be a close game. But I guess but really th- what all that means is it's uh, what they're favored by a touchdown on a neutral field. Touchdown, yeah, on a neutral field. Hmm. Um, let me, let me make my case for the Chargers. Okay. And why they, they definitely can win this game. Pitch me a, uh, the high stinky cheddar. I will. I'll give you the high cheese. Uh, the Chargers beat the Broncos once in Denver this year. The other time they played, they only lost by seven points. The Chargers run the ball well. They've got three backs. Um, they're the best team in the league on third downs. So if you want to possess the ball, that's huge. And they're the best team in the league in time of possession. Um, so you really couldn't come up with a better recipe for, for keeping Peyton Manning on the sideline than converting third downs, running the ball, and possessing the ball. And then Phillip Rivers in terms of quarterback rating, was was behind only Peyton Manning and Nick Foles this year. Yeah. Um, so he can put up points with Peyton Manning. He, and this is the third time they've played. Um, that said, I'm still going to go Denver just because I think their weapons are better. Yeah. Demarius Thomas, Wes Welker, healthy. Eric Decker, Julius Thomas versus Keenan Allen is the best weapon for Kinda the Kind of got to pick your poison, and, and none of them is really going to fall flat on their faces. Right. Yeah, they've got basically four pro bowlers to throw the ball to. So I'll, I'll go Denver. 35 to 30 ish type game. 35 to 30 ish? I think, I, I do think Denver's gonna come out on top. I think, um, that San Diego will give them a good run. Be interesting to see. Make it a competitive game. Be interesting to see how Peyton handles the playoffs too. Yeah. It's, the weather's supposed to be 50, a low of 29 degrees, a high of 50. That's fine. Yeah. That's right in his, I mean, that's, that's plenty warm. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, Peyton's got a little bit of a fire in his belly this year, I think, with all the postseason yeah. talk and the cold weather talk and all that such, such. Yeah. So I, I, think I, he's I more comfortable and a little healthier than last year, too. I'd, I'd pick Denver by a touchdown. Okay. Okay. So we're on the same page there. Let's take a quick break. Yeah. And then we're going to come back with uh, some college basketball quick hits. A little bit of hardwood. Coming up on the other side of the break here. Welcome back into the podcast TDIS underscore humble brag hallelujah. Uh, the day in sports.com, the day in sports on Facebook, <laughs> the day in sports on iTunes. We're a little punchy today. Yeah. Um, punch drunk. Yeah. We're feeling a little squirrely because my almost six month old is, as I've said before, he is the Lawrence Taylor of podcasts. Yeah. He can wreck a game plan in an instant. Puts a lot of pressure on us. Every once in a while, you get a gem out of him where he doesn't make a peep, though, for a good couple hours. I tried to engineer it so that he would be napping this whole time, but, but his naps have become Subject to change. Yeah. If he decides it's a 15-minute nap, it's a 15-minute nap, despite how much you may beg him to go back to sleep. So, Despite all the Benadryl you put in his Infamil. Yeah, chloroform, nothing works. Yeah. Just kidding. We don't do any of that. Um, college basketball quick hits. I'm into it. We haven't talked much college ball. Um, I was watching last night. Uh, I watched Wisconsin just decimate Illinois. We'll get into them in a second. But I watched also Kansas play Oklahoma. and. Andrew Wiggins is this guy who was supposed to be the the top prospect since LeBron James, the best basketball player we've seen in ten years. And the next coming, if you will. Yeah, and I, you know, and he's in college basketball where he should be able to dominate. And I just think he is so overrated. Um, I mean, would the best prospect in ten years be on an 18th ranked team in the country where there's two or three other lottery talents? I, they're not winning enough. Um, they're they're ten and four. And, I mean, look at his numbers, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 1 assist per game, and he's shooting 45% from the field. Gross. And, and, and he disappears for long stretches of games, you know. It just doesn't do it for me. And, and I was looking at some of the other top prospects, and I just wanted to kind of juxtapose. Like, look at 
Jabari Parker versus the versus Wiggins numbers. Jabari Parker, 20 points, 8 rebounds a game. So obviously more productive, shooting 50% from the field. Duke has a better record. They're 12-3. Then you look at a sophomore like Marcus Smart, 17 points a game, 4 assists, 4 rebounds. He's a point guard, but he's six foot four, 220 pounds. Um, and he's leading Oklahoma State to a much better record there, I believe. 13-2, 12-2, the 11th ranked team in the country. And then the other really highly touted guy, Julius Randle, from Kentucky, a power forward, 18 points, 11 boards, shooting almost 60% from the field. So I just think um, this is something I've thought often about in the NBA, is that potential is a very, very dangerous word. Um, and, and NBA scouts and NBA types sort of fall in love with it, the, the big seven-footer, as long as he can walk and chew gum. Yeah. Um, but when you see a guy like Wiggins that disappears for, for such long stretches of games, it, it, it makes me worried. You know, one thing I would say is I I would give him at least until tournament time to see if he kind of sure. if he wakes up um in March the way a lot of great players do. Yeah. And and really can you know, make an impact for his team and and potentially, you know, carry them and make a tournament run. Yeah. Um you know, then we could scrap all this. But if he doesn't show up in March, then there's really some concern there, I think. And it just worries me that a guy that I mean, it's supposed to be, um, you know, the most talented guy, you know, I mean, he would have been the number one pick in the NBA had he come out, had it, had it been, would he be, had he been able to come out. Yeah. So it just worries me that, that he's so passive. And it, I, I, I went through a list. I was looking at past drafts of guys that were, you know, quote unquote potential guys. Yeah. Guys with a lot of potential, but maybe hadn't, we hadn't seen the production. Darko Milicic, Greg Oden. Andre Bargnani, Kwame Brown, Hashim Thabit, O.J. Mayo, Tyreek Evans. These were all kind of talent guys. And then I looked at guys that were kind of more ready-made. Clay Thompson, Kevin Love, Kawhi Leonard, Brooke Lopez, Joe Kim Noah. They were kind of more known commodities. That Their games were kind of already there, not, not potentially great. Right. And so it kind of makes me nervous when you see a guy... I, there's no way I would take Andrew Wiggins in the draft over Parker, Marcus Smart, or Julius Randle because I will take the guy that is producing now. I'll take the production. You can't be a passive big man. I mean, that's like a that's too much of a an oxymoron. Yeah. Um, for that to work, if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of have that size and and own and own that, you got to play up to that size. And I mean, you got to play like somebody who's. Bigger than everybody else on the on the court for the most part, and and probably the most athletic guy maybe in college basketball. And the thing is, you know, you could say, well, maybe he's not just a pure scorer. Well, then you would accept more than one assist per game, right? Yeah. Um. So he's not distributing. He's not rebounding well enough. Yeah. I I couldn't possibly justify taking this guy with the first pick, but it still seems the NBA types think he's a runaway candidate. Maybe it's just one of those things where. It falls under that category of of things that you don't really understand unless you analyze professional basketball every day of your life. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe and maybe effort is a, is an issue for him in college, just because he knows he assumes that that he's going to make it to that next level, and that's where he's really going to kind of yeah. make his mark. I don't know. That men- mentality would worry me. As yeah. A scout. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, Work and, ethic is a huge thing. And I think sometimes these guys maybe get a little bit too close to it, and they fall in love with. I'm smarter than everyone else evaluating. And, you know, despite what the concrete numbers are telling me, I know this guy can be great. Yeah. And I'm sure he can be. So just a little thought, a little bit worried about Andrew Wiggins. little tidbit. Um, the Wisconsin Badgers. Badgers. Uh, Eric, you asked me the other podcast, a couple of podcasts ago, kind of what their ceiling was. And I thought maybe Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, but I might have been wrong about that. They're they're sixteen and zero, best start in uh, school history, right? I think so, or, yeah. or very near. And, and they've got four guys that all score in double digits, which is important, especially come tournament time, to have multiple options. Fourth um, ranked team in the country. Yeah, and they're going to move up to third, I would think, because because um, Michigan State or Ohio State just lost. Yeah, um, to Michigan State, so I, I think they'll be third by next week. Um, they're eight deep. They play great defense. They've beaten number twenty two Iowa. Uh, they just stomped number 23, Illinois, by nearly 30 points. Yeah. They beat number 11, Florida. They get Michigan State and Ohio State at home this year. I think maybe this is a potential one seed. I The Badgers have always kind of been a team that, at least from my perspective, they play really well, and then every once in a while they'll just drop a, a stinker. Yeah. Like, and it, it could be at home, could be at the Kohl Center. Um that someone will show up, a team that they're really supposed to beat, maybe that they've overlooked, and 
upset them and, you know, kind of throw a wrench in the whole system. I, I don't know. And I guess when it comes to tournament time as well, I don't know how well they're going to play away from home. That's why I think they have to get a one or a two seed so they have that kind of cupcake first round. Yeah. Um, because I think, you're right, the more chances they have to play a, an equal opponent. Yeah. Because um, they're not, they're more talented than they have been in years past, but this isn't Kansas or Duke talent-wise. Right. They, they, they overachieve in terms of talent, partially because they're so well coached. Um, and I was looking at Bo Ryan's numbers at, at UW. Mm-hmm. He's 306 and 113 career record That's at, pretty at good. UW. That's I mean, hey. 146 and 60 in the Big Ten. That's a 700 or 70% yeah. winning percentage in the Big Ten. Now, check this out. He's 198 and 20 at home. Yeah. So basically 20 and 2 is how that would break down. Mm-hmm. Um, and at home, he's 33 and 11. So he wins 75% of games against top 25 teams. Yep. So I think you look at that, you look at the fact that they get Ohio State and Michigan State at home. They have a chance for some real key wins. And, and if they get that one seed, maybe they could go further than, than the Elite Eight. What worries me is that Wisconsin's a team that always plays well in the Big Ten. Yep. Um, but they're kind of built for it. They're, they're absolutely built for it. They're, they're the quintessential Big Ten team. Grinding nature. Very grinding nature. But sometimes they play teams with conflicting styles. Yep. Um, maybe a, a West Coast team. Um, you know, Pac-12 or what have you. Uh, Even a mid-major that that's more up-tempo. That just gives them fits. Yeah. They're not the... And I'm really curious to see how, how they do against... When they play Minnesota, who's yeah. kind of adopted that whole, um, what do you call the 40 minutes, 60 minutes of hell? Yeah, 40 minutes of hell. 40 kind minutes of, of hell. Tempo, uh, Just run, 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 run. Yeah, throw lobs, you know, play in transition. Definitely, Wisconsin wants to slow the game. They're almost like a time of possession team in football. Yeah. They want to kind of beat the hell yeah. out of you. Um, and, and you're right, that works really well in the Big Ten where maybe there isn't all the high flyers or, or the really top talent yeah. um, outside of Michigan State. Um, so it'll be interesting to see yeah. down the stretch. Um, Want to transition a little bit. Seamlessly. Seamlessly transition. Johnny Football yeah. declares for the draft. What do you think of his pro prospects? I, you know, there are a lot of people bandying about Fran Tarkenton's name. Yeah, I heard that. Um, that seems a little premature. That's probably premature a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really do think, though, he's one of those guys that seems to just Win. Um, yeah. he's, he's got that kind of je ne sais quoi, yeah. uh, about him that, you know, he might be really cocky and he takes that approach certainly off the field, but it translates on the field to a guy who's, you know, talented. And one, one comparison that I did kind of like, not necessarily, um, as a whole player, as a, as an entire football player, but he's got a similar awareness to Brett Favre. Yeah. Kind of those eyes in the back of his head, um, he can feel pressure really well. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it could go either way. What, my concern with him would be durability. Yeah. He's going to take small. a, he's going to take a, a big shot and it's going to put him out for, you know, two months. And he's, he's in, I like that you brought up the Favre thing because he's instinctive like Favre. Very instinctive. But Favre, uh, if you watch his, uh, there's a football documentary. It might be NFL Network that does it about Brett Favre. He didn't know what a nickel defense was till his fourth year in the league. Yeah. Like something that you, if you play Madden, you know what a nickel defense is. Uh-huh. So I think Johnny is, is smarter than Favre. I yes. think he's kind of a football savant. I wrote in my notes. He, he's kind of got a, a brilliant mind for the game. If not, maybe the smartest guy off the field. He's definitely knows what he's doing on the field. Mm-hmm. I like that he's got speed. He's probably going to run in the 4-5 range. Very fast. He's accurate. He's a good improviser, a la Brett Favre. And, and his teammates seem to love his competitive nature. Um, I also think it's hard to gauge from college football arm strength. Yeah. Because people tend to run wide open. And I think where you see arm strength is in the NFL throwing into tight windows. Yeah. So from I, the pocket. So, yeah. I, 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 I'm not saying he doesn't have the arm. I just, I'm not sure I know yet. I feel like, and I, that was actually going to be my next, I feel like he is a guy that I would be comfortable with him being able to make 95% of the throws that you need him to make in the NFL, you know. If and if not he's all got all the other elements, you don't have to have. No. You don't have to be Kaepernick or Cam Newton in terms of arm strength. And he's, and to be honest, I don't, you don't see him, you know, you don't see him kind of limp wrist many balls or, or short arm throws very no. often. I mean, he puts a little bit of heat on some of those. Um, that wouldn't be a really big, my only concern, or I guess I should say two concerns, um, off the field, and whether or not he's going to be able to stay on his feet and stay in the game. Yeah, yeah. you kind of hope that he doesn't buy too much into the Johnny football persona, especially when he's allowed now to yeah. do commercials, to take endorsements, to 
do all the off the field stuff. But and and maybe it works well for him yeah. because he is allowed to do that stuff. And in the NFL, I mean, it's no nonsense. A lot of those coaches aren't going to put up with the kind of stuff that you can get away with in college because they need you there because you know, yeah, because of you know all he the, was the boosters, you know, the boosters and and the alumni and all that stuff. That's not the same thing in the NFL. I mean, you're just one draft pick. They're gonna. Whether or not you're playing well, you are going to show up to meetings, they're going to show up to practice, and you're going to do what's asked of you, or you're, there's going to be heck to pay, you know? So the quarterback class is kind of coming into shape for the draft, and yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit. If we talk a lot of 49ers and Vikings, it's because the whole reason we started the day in sports is to talk about stuff that we're interested in. Yeah. I'm a 49er fan, you're a Vikings we, fan. We spread it pretty well to the Packers. And... We spread it well. We I think we spread all topics, but, but I've always be- believed that You'll perform best when you talk about and work on stuff that you're interested in. So, truth, eat it. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but seriously, eat it. So, who do you like out of this class? There's there's Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, and then David Carr. Um, from from the mock drafts that I've looked at, looks like all four will probably go somewhere in the top fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we talked about Manziel. Bridgewater is probably going to be the number one pick. I think Carr and Bortles are, are kind of the unknowns. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite out of the draft? You know, uh, it was Teddy Bridgewater Yeah. Uh, for a long time, but I'm actually starting to lean a little bit more towards Johnny Football. I, I just think there's something about him. It's that, it's that undefinable characteristic that's just, I mean, it's a, he's brimming with confidence. He's like... Athletic as hell. He's really athletic. Um, durability w- is a concern, but I think... You he's, put him, he's played all the games at, at Texas A&M, I think. Yeah, I, I maybe I think he's had maybe one one injury or so, but um, you've got to, if you put him in a, in a situation where he can be successful, I mean, watch out. That's how yeah. I feel about it. And, and, I, and he could be successful almost immediately. And I think he's the type of guy that would die on the field to win a game. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure everyone else is like that. And I, it almost, this is kind of like a few, well, almost half a decade ago now when, when the Texans had the, the first pick and a lot of people wanted them to take the hometown guy, Vince Young. Yeah. I wonder if Manziel... From you know, playing in the Texas area, might there might be pressure for the Texans to take him number one overall, especially if he interviews well and and does well at the combine. Yeah, um, but that's I mean, and that's assuming that that's Houston, a talented team he would come into too. That, that's assuming that Houston isn't doesn't trade away that pick too, or, or maybe just takes Clowney. Yeah, I mean, you don't know about that, but I think he's the. I think if I were to you know, because this is all about gambling, it's all a gamble. Yeah, um, I'd put my money on him simply for the fact that it's just this like. This bloodlust, I'm going to win kind of an attitude that I like. So that kind of transitions us to, I wanted to ask a little bit about the Vikings' approach. It's widely assumed they pick eighth, that they're going to take a quarterback. Yeah. Um, but to me, if Manziel and Bridgewater are gone, um, there's a lot of talent in this draft. There's there's Jadavion Clowney, yeah. um, Anthony Barr, both really good pass rushers. Khalil Mack is a really good linebacker from Buffalo. Yeah. Um, Marquise Lee, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans are all top-notch receivers that you could pair with. Cordero Patterson, Adrian yeah. Peterson, Greg Jennings, Kyle Rudolph, Matt Khalil. What if the Vikings just go best player available? Mm-hmm. Um, because I never understand the philosophy of you need to take a quarterback, just take the, the guy that's there. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense no, to me doesn't. because if he's not the right guy, then you're just stuck with Ponder again. So you give Ponder or Castle the reign for one more year, you get the best player available, and you've got one hell of a core then going forward. And then you look at next year's class. Uh, Marcus Mariota, who might have been the first pick this year. Jameis Winston, who will be the first pick next year. Yeah. Brett Hundley from UCLA. Bryce Petty from Baylor. That's a stacked class. Yeah. What do you think of, of maybe not going quarterback and maybe saying, hey, it's going to be one more year of building for the Vikings, but let's load up this already talented team. And then next year, if say you get the first pick, Jameis Winston's right there. I feel like if that's the approach they're going to take, they have to focus really on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah. Maybe get a linebacker with a linebacker or a defensive back with that eighth overall pick. I would probably yeah. lean a little bit more towards linebacker. Yeah. Um, because I feel like you can find more depth at the um, defensive back position later in the draft. You could get yeah. a, a really passable, throw him in right now, and he starts D back in the second round. And, and they need, I think, a guy to kind of. Have the radio in his helmet yeah. and be like their middle linebacker. They need a middle linebacker. They don't have, I mean. They need a sideline to sideline force. Audie Cole stepped in and played well. I don't see him being the long-term solution at middle linebacker. Aaron Henderson is pretty much off the team at this point. 
um, off the field issues yeah. and such. And so, I never thought he was a. I thought he was a passable, but not a very good player. He was a passable um, weak side linebacker. Decent against the run. I thought. I thought, he, yeah. I thought you could exploit him in the pass. Very easy to exploit in the pass. Does not read um, read offenses at the line of scrimmage very well. Um, and terrible in the middle. I thought. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's definitely some. I think the Vikings are in an advantageous position in that they've got Ponder. You could potentially give him another year, and if you get something out of him, great. If not, take a quarterback next year in a stocked class and, and build the talent this year. I think their only concern is Adrian, um, yeah. and it's another year you know, down the tubes for him. He'll be 29 going into next, not next season, but the season after, yeah. or, or close to 30. My guess is either they take the approach that you suggested and, and wait it out for some someone next year and hope that they hope that they have a bad season. Yeah. Or they kind of go all in and move up for into the top, or into the top three and, and take either Bridgewater or Manziel. If they got one of those two guys, I would I would feel really good about it. Yeah, I mean, but what do you give up for it? Yeah, because they, they really are. If you believe that Bridgewater or Manziel is a potential Pro Bowl type quarterback, you give up a lot. Yeah, because when you get that guy, look at Andrew Luck. They don't they don't have nearly the talent that the Vikings do, but they have the quarterback. And you can always, you know, um, linebackers and defensive backs are. Something that I think is easier to find in free agency than yeah. than maybe a quarterback or or other position skill positions. And whoever comes in for the Vikings as coach, um, and and they need to I think overhaul overhaul the scouting department a little yeah. bit because the Vikings have have hit well on their first round picks. They need to be able to find gems later in the draft. Yes. Um, so interest a lot of dynamics to the draft. We'll talk more about that in, in future podcasts. I wanted to touch a little bit on the Hall of Fame. I did too. Um, we saw Greg Maddox. Uh, Tom Glavin and Frank Thomas all get in on the first ballot. Um, kind of interesting. First ballot Hall of Famer is kind of different than any other type of Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, and then Craig Biggio fell two votes short, the, the closest anyone's ever been without getting in. You got 74.8% of the vote. You need 75%. You can, you can thank, um, uh, what's his name, Dan Levitard for that one. Yeah, he gave his vote to Deadspin. He said that. In the current climate, I think he is for voting for guys that, that took PEDs, and he thought, you know, my vote really doesn't count at this point. I, I just thought that was an attention-getting move. It was really stupid, and e- even the PTI guys blasted him for it. I mean, he's probably they're probably going to not let him vote again now. Yeah, he'll give probably your vote lose away. his vote. Um, I just thought it was kind of thumbing your nose at, at kind of everybody. And this, I mean, to, to his, I mean, one thing I will say is this is a really tough era to kind of weed through and say yeah. who deserves to get in and who doesn't. Um, I thought the Jack Morris snub was probably the worst. I, I had heard that people didn't think he would get in, um, and now he can go on. I think there's a senior ballot after 15 so, years. Yeah, they have to. They have to like uh, it has to be. It's like a veterans committee or, a, yeah. or something like that that has to bring it up. I was saying his percentages actually went down. He got less votes. He was. I really thought because traditionally you see them go up. Yeah, and he was at like 68 or 69 yeah. last year. I and thought he would at least be close. Seven percent away. I'm sure he probably thought he would be close, and it yeah. dipped. And feel bad for him because I mean that's a guy, uh, World Series MVP. Yeah. You know, pitched an 11 inning game. Yeah, I mean. He he essentially carried the twins in that in that one was was he here for one year I think yeah I think they brought him in from Detroit for a year yeah um, I wanted to go though to okay so Barry Bonds Roger Clemens Mark McGuire Sammy Sosa all lost percentage points from the previous year Rafael Palmero dipped below five percent from the previous year which means he got less than five percent of the vote which means he's off the the ballot forever mm-hmm. he can no longer make the Hall of Fame all steroid or suspected steroid users. So I guess the the big question is, would you put PED users in the Hall of Fame? Not guys that so flagrantly kind of were users or so flagrantly like tried to take advantage of the system and put their name in the record books yeah. by doing so. Uh, your Barry, Barry Bonds, I mean, as great of a baseball player as he would have been had he never taken any steroids. He would have been a Hall of Famer without it. He, uh, he really, I think... Has ruined his chances of getting in. I mean, he's, none of those guys are going to get in. No, you don't recover. It's thirteen percent, twelve percent, ten percent for some of these guys. I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. They they have kind of tainted baseball for a lot of purists. Yeah, and unfortunately, there are a lot of purists who have Hall of Fame votes. Well, a and, lot of writers, yeah, it's mostly writers, and don't want you anywhere near what they consider, you know, kind of a sacred, hallowed ground. 
Yeah, and you know, there, there's the argument that you have to put the PED users in because otherwise you're not going to have Hall of Fame classes, but my response to that is the Hall of Fame is so select anyway. Yeah. If you have a few years without guys, um, that's okay to me. Yeah. I, I, I am conflicted about it, but it's hard to quantify how many people were using, what they were using uh, on an individual's body, how much did steroids help them versus right. maybe it didn't help them, did it just stay, help them stay healthy? There, there's, it's too nebulous for me to put somebody that was clearly using drugs into the Hall of Fame. Um, well, they, they almost, my big conflict is that they almost, you know, destroyed a game that they allegedly love and that all these, I mean... And is be, built on history. Being in the Hall of Fame is is about, you bettered the game of baseball by being in it, not only through your play, but I mean, right. you've, you've made baseball better, uh, developed a, a deeper fanship, whatever. And these guys uh, did the opposite of that, I feel. Yeah, Except I mean, for Roger Clemens, I want him. If if it's that close, <laughs> Roger Dodger, I would rather I would rather err on the side of exclusion. Oh yeah, um, with something like the Hall of Fame. I mean, Barry Bonds takes steroids and he steals the home run mantle from Hank Aaron. I yeah, mean, that that's by you know, cheating. That's an affront you to cheated. baseball. You don't deserve to get into the Hall of Fame. He shouldn't even. I, I would so strike you, his name from the record books. Personally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to know there's going to be consequences to, to taking steroids, yeah. and if losing the Hall of Fame is one of them, I mean. I, I think we're both it. on the same page. Well, here. I, I don't know how you sleep at night doing that. You cheated and you took what is perhaps the greatest single record, you know, for a, a one person in all of sports. In all of sports, the record. And you cheated to get it, and yeah. you're just—it's well, that's just the way it is. And 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 you know, you can't feel bad for these guys. I mean, because they got—they gained more than they lost. Oh, they lost their they reputation, did. but they made. Hundreds of millions, millions of dollars. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. So if you're going to take away a Hall of Fame from them, but still they're million, million, millionaires, that, yeah. that's fine with me. Keep I, them out. And I, my, my thing is also, um, if they if they don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, they don't deserve to be in the record books, I don't think. Yeah, or at least put an asterisk there. Yeah, or um, just, you know, or, or just strike them sneak out. into their homes and murder them. That's probably the best approach. Yeah. Um, let's take a break, and then we'll come back with something a little more exciting, a little less saddening. A little more rapide. Rapid Fire, courtesy of Chocolate Sunset, Eric Lejeune, the producer. He asks me and Ben answer on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back into the podcast. TDIS underscore Humble Break on Twitter, thedanesports.com. Chocolate Sunset, Eric Lejeune, ready to rapid fire questions for both me and Ben. Mm-hmm. Eric, what's first on the docket? Uh, what are your thoughts on NFL adding two wildcard teams? Is this for both of us? For both of you. I guess I think it's the type of thing that if it happens, we'll all get over it and it'll be fine. And I think my main hesitation with it is I love the NFL and I really don't think you could improve on the, on the playoff product. I also like two teams getting a bye. And in this scenario, only one team would get a bye. And so I think you're almost hurting the elite teams and rewarding the, the lesser teams. Yeah. That's my take on it. I agree. I think you've got enough worst to first happenings yeah. these days. Um, Salary cap, it's a parody league anyway. Enough turnaround, and the playoffs are, I, I think it's perfect. I, I wouldn't mess with it at all. I mean, obviously, it's more money for the league, more money for some teams. Um, and I guess if it were my team taking advantage of it would uh, be one nice. of the extra yeah. spots, it would be nice. But I think now you're you're seeing, you know, nine and seven teams that make it sometimes. Yeah. If you have... Teams that are under 500 going into the playoffs, I don't think I could get behind that. And, you know, I mean, in the NBA, one of the main criticisms is almost everybody makes it. Yeah. 16 teams make it. And I don't think you want to – I think the more exclusive you make it, the more exciting it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on the NFC side, you would have seen a team that probably deserves it, Arizona, get in. Mm-hmm. But on the AFC side, you would have seen the 8-8 eight eight Steelers get yeah. in. Yeah. Or, so, I mean, in, in some years, you're going to see sub-500 teams get in at 7-9. Yeah. and nine. I just – nah. Next question. Uh, thoughts on the Jay Cutler resigning? Um, apparently, so it's seven years. I, I think there's a lot of outs in the contract for the Bears to get out of it. Say three, four years down the road. I think they're still. I, I still. I think they way overpaid. I think them. they overpaid. It's about seventeen million a year, which is less than Joe Flacco made. 
and I consider Cutler and Flacco kind of equivalent. Right. Good but not great quarterbacks. Flacco a little bit younger. Flacco's a little bit younger, probably two years younger. I, I just think the Bears thought, what else are we going to do? Yeah. Um, McCown, obviously, is 34, and he's a career backup for a reason. He played well, but yeah. he's not going to be your franchise. So I understand the move, um, and I understand it's hard to let a top 15 quarterback go. That said, seven years and that much money is a lot to commit to a guy that I don't think is ever going to win you a Super Bowl. I think he's on the decline. Um, yeah, I agree. He's 30. Yeah, he's on the decline. His play has not been getting better. He's seen injuries over the past few years. And I I, I just think they way overpaid for him. They probably could have gotten him for less. Yeah. Uh, apparently has a pretty good agent. I would have maybe franchise tagged him. So yeah. you pay him that amount of money for one year. Absolutely. Um, and then he has to kind of put up or shut up. Yeah. And if he doesn't take, if he takes you to nine and seven again, then you kind of know it's been four or five years in Chicago. It's, it's just not the guy. I agree. Okay. This is, we have some day in sports history. Ooh. In 1918, the NHL announced a new rule that permitted goaltenders to leave their feet while making a save. Previously, a penalty was called if a goalie sat or laid on the ice to stop the puck. Do you just want our reaction to that? Please. Um, Transformative. I'm glad that they're able to leave their feet, although I think I would enjoy seeing a guy penalized for like trying to make a save. Yeah. Um, well, you'd see, I mean, again, it would be like 7 to 8. Yeah. I would like more circus type rules in hockey. No, I think it's I think it's a good thing that they allow hockey players to uh, goalies to leave their feet. Absolutely, and, and some of the best you know Acrobatic goalie hi- yeah, yeah some of the best goalie highlights are guys you know kicking their legs way up in the air and yeah. standing on their heads. They're gymnasts. It wouldn't be the same game today if it wasn't for that change. In 1991, a special committee of Major League Baseball authorities officially banned Pete Rose from being elected into the Hall of Fame. I have a major, major issue with this. I, I mean, do too. He bet on the game. I think mostly what it was was he was betting on his own teams to win. Yeah. Um. So I really don't have an issue with that. And uh, to me, the you're ruining the game so much more by taking performance-enhancing drugs yes. than just debating or betting on the outcome of a game that you believe you're going to win anyway. And we're still letting these jerks be considered. Be on the ballot. You know, that's not fair. And and this guy, actually Pete Rose, could have taken a shorter suspension, but he took the lifetime ban because he thought, I'll appeal this and I'll get back in. Right. Didn't work out that way. But it's never worked out. He's the all-time hits leader. Uh, what was his nickname? Charlie Hustle? Did I make that up? Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. He just he played the game the right way. and Head first, baby. And, and there's so much money changing hands over baseball anyway. I could care less if you bet on the game. I really, I mean, gambling on sports, and unless it, you know, you're going shoeless Joe and trying to put the fix in. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with it. I think it taints the game more to consider steroid users and such for the Hall of Fame when a guy like Pete Rose, like you said, who cares if he thought his team was going to win and he wanted to put some money on it? I don't care. By using steroids, Barry Bonds probably added 50 runs to his team. Yeah. Per year. I mean, that's a huge impact. It's just, it's stupid. It's dumb. That's that's an example of baseball kind of dragging their feet. Dummies. Uh, January 9th, 2005. The Minnesota Vikings' Randy Moss pretended to pull down his pants and moon the Green Bay Packer crowd during a playoff win. This was a big... Um, I think Randy Moss did it in reaction to, I think, being mooned by yeah. Packer fans. I thought it was really funny because yeah. Packer fans, as much as I love them and most of my friends are Packer fans... They can get a little sanctimonious. They about, take themselves very uh, they seriously. They take themselves very, very seriously. And it's almost like like the Packers are some sort of holy thing in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the fans own the team, you know, great tradition and all that stuff. I didn't think it was that big a deal. I thought it was funny. It, it's not like he actually mooned them. That would have been better. I mean, I thought it was great. Probably one of my favorite. I liked his pl- dance as he did it, yeah, too. Yeah, the little butt shake. Yeah. Uh, probably one of my favorite Vikings memories, just because everybody got so up in arms over it. And it's not like it was a little shot across the bow. I think I think they interviewed interviewed him about it after the fact, and he said something like, "Next time, I'm going to take my dick out and shake it." <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. If only he had. Oh God, just Randy all over me. All right, this is my last question. What are your least favorite teams in any sport? Ooh. Um, I hate the Seattle Seahawks. I didn't always. I hate them more now because they're uh, good. my team's rival. Yeah. Um. And I hate Pete Carroll. Just uh-huh. cannot stand him. I'm chomping SOB. Um, so I don't like them. Um, let's see. NBA, I obviously don't care for the Celtics. I respect them, though. And I always liked when the Lakers and Celtics would play in the finals because, like, you know, it was just kind of tradition-rich and, and, and really good teams. 
Um, but I guess I would say I, I, I hate the Celtics just because they're my, my favorite team's arch rival. Um, I'm not a USC fan in, in college football, and I'm not a Notre Dame fan, um, just because I think, I, I just think the whole tradition thing goes a little bit too far in college football. Yep. Um, and like, especially with Notre Dame, um, They've still got that contract with NBC for whatever reason. They really have only been relevant once in the last 25 yeah. years. I don't know. I, I I don't really hate a lot of teams. Who, 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 who are you against? I don't like the Miami Heat. Okay, uh, that's understandable. Probably tops my list. Um, I'm not a big USC guy either. I don't like the Chicago Bears. Um, Chicago and Green Bay are um, almost the same tier for me. I don't hate them, but I have a pretty aggressive dislike for them, especially when they're playing my team. No one hates the Lions. Nobody I hates just say in the they're NFC just, North. They're not, a, they're, not a, they're not a legitimate threat, and they the haven't been in our lifetime, so it's like, no. you know, who cares? Um, um, but there was one more. Oh, and, and then just almost every Boston-based team yeah. I hate just because it's like... The fans are insufferable. spoiled little biatches of fans. Well, and, and Boston kind of went from, like, this long-suffering, we never win anything... To winning something, we've every won year. three Super Bowls, three World Series. The the Bruins have won. Um, I mean, they basically won everything in this decade. Yeah, um, several times, or in the last fifteen years or so. But the fans haven't changed from this "woe is me" attitude. Yeah. So I, I don't really understand that. That's that's kind of an insufferable fan base. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say, you know, probably top of the list, the Miami Heat, and then anybody from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for checking out the podcast. I think it was. Um, Jam-packed full of good content. I'm excited about it. It was informative. It was informative. And divisional round, obviously, coming up. We'll, next time we're with you, we'll be breaking down the divisional round and maybe previewing the conference championships. Um, so that to look forward to. I bet it'll be NFL heavy on our next podcast. But thanks for checking it out. Adam Hawking, Ben Sherman, Eric Lejeune, the Day in Sports podcast. We will catch you next time. Yeah,